Hey everyone, it's Sarah, and welcome back to Sarah's Soccer Shorts. And today's episode will be dealing with the issue pay to play, a prevalent topic in America today. Later in the episode, we have a special guest joining us. His name is Darren Campbell. He happens to be the president of the Lockport Soccer Club, a local community organization, and he also is my father. But he's coming on the show today to talk about the issue pay to play and how this is addressed in the youth of today. I want to start today the way we always do, with a little bit of history about soccer. So, let's hit the history piece. On today's bit, we're dealing with the history of how soccer came to North America, highlighting how the sport is rooted in a tradition of elitism, which eventually becomes a platform for the pay-to-play problem. According to Bichetti's article, Italian Immigrants, Brazilian Football, in the Dilemma of National Identity, that we read in class, football initially was made and played by only elites. In 1894, a wealthy Brazilian-born Englishman, Charles Miller, brought the sport to Sao Paulo, Brazil. The love for the game was ignited by the upper-class citizens, which, as Bichetti mentions, were mostly white English-born men. They formed clubs spreading the game across North America. Some of the most successful early clubs include the Corinthians in Sao Paulo and the Philomenes in Rio de Janeiro. However, not only did football spread, but so did Miller's elitist attitude. As Bucchetti mentions, these organizations and their representatives helped to construct football communities which held an elitist vision of proper sporting practices, a games ethics, which helped to marginalize those deemed undesirable as opponents and teammates especially non-whites and working-class players. The game eventually spread to America, the nation where our problem is focused in today. In soccer's trials and tribulations, beginnings, chaos, almost obscurity in colleges, the authors mentioned that immigrants were the biggest fans for the sport in its early days. However, despite knowing this fact, the American League of Professional Football Clubs, one of the first soccer organizations in America, scheduled all their games for the weekdays, thus cutting the attendance of their biggest fan group, immigrants, who worked during the day and couldn't attend the games. They were trying to gear the sport for those who they deemed more elite, cutting out the immigrants from being able to attend. Even when soccer came to colleges, people looked at it as a game for those too elite to play the manly and dangerous game of football. Therefore, soccer has a long history of being for the elite, a struggle that we are still facing and attempting to overcome today. Thank you for joining us for this bit. Okay, now let's get into it. Please give a warm welcome to our guest of the week, Darren Campbell. For the sake of this interview, I will be referring to you as Darren, if that's all right. Sure. Okay, good. So the issue on the table today how pay-to-play soccer programs are affecting the diversity of the game, creating an unequal makeup of the people playing it in terms of both class and race. Now, before we get into it, I want the viewers to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your involvement with soccer and briefly about the Lockport Soccer Club in general? I've been involved as a coach for over 20 years with the Lockport Soccer Club, and I'm presently the president of the Lockport Soccer Club. That's very good. Did you coach for girls or boys? I coached about 10 years of boys and about 10 years of girls. Okay. 
So you may be asking what exactly is pay to play? I've gathered a simple definition for everyone and it's simplicity. It truly means that in order to be able to play soccer, especially at higher levels that will gain a person the opportunity to be recognized, you need to pay money. And we're not talking about a little bit of money, but an obscene amount. Now, Darren, have you ever come across this issue in your time with the game? Uh, yes, I have. And what specifically? Well, with the local environment here, we have a number of premier clubs. When I first started coaching, there was only pretty much one premier club. And the best players played for that club. Now, over the course of the years, the there have been more and more clubs that are paid are pay to play type clubs. Lockport Soccer Club has always prided itself on allowing many kids as possible to play. Uh, but as they start going through the system, they feel the need to uh, try to get a little bit better, and the lure of the higher level playing uh, comes into a play here. But it, the end result is, as long as you can pay money, you end up on those teams. It's not that you're necessarily the best player as it was 20, 25 years ago. But do you find that in order to be successful and to gain, say, college scholarships that you need to be on these teams? Or can you play D1 from a club soccer level? I think of it, some of it depends on the person. How, however, the big difference is the pay-to-plays are practicing two, three times a week, and then they have multiple games. A lot of the clubs barely practice one time a week because they may not have the means to have an indoor facility throughout the winter. If an individual played three times a week, I think they would be able to uh, play at a, a higher level just as you would if you had to pay to play. I've had some kids over the course of my years of the past 20 years who have have gone on to Division One or Division Two or Division Three soccer, and they just played for the Lockport Soccer Club. But overall, there is a big difference when you look at the D1s coming from these play-to-play clubs versus our own Lockport Soccer Club. Yes, I, and that would be the case. And, and that's another thing our the Buffalo West New York Junior Soccer League did. Um, about halfway through my coaching, if you were a uh, club member and a premier member, you could not play in both. Recently, they're starting to allow some of the clubs to to have premier players as well. You're allowed a handful now to play on their club, as, club level as well. And that's because of the diminishing number of kids that are playing in a lot of these uh, areas. Interesting. So I just want to share with you some facts. So according to the article, U.S. soccer is neglecting Latino talent, and it shows... Currently, 90% of its youth national teams come from the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, which costs nearly $80,000 a year. Kush Kush, the author, also states that the families of these teams pay fees ranging from $5,000 to $17,000 per a season in terms of just travel money and expenses. Now, are these fees similar to the club premier or the premier teams we've been talking about? Uh some of the premieres, I guess it, it depends if you're an ODP level or just the lower level premieres are, are, are less than that. 
if you want to get into the little higher level premieres where they start touring outside of the state into many regions, uh, it can get pretty expensive. Uh, this Our local area, I know kids playing in, they played in the East Coast. They, they go up and down the East Coast through the South and then annual tournaments in California. Uh, th that becomes pretty expensive. And, and a lot of those kids never get very far at all. Yeah. Well, just how many kids actually play in co colleges? Not as many as are playing in these clubs. Now, in terms of other clubs around Western New York, like the local town ones, how does the Lockport Col Soccer Club compare? Is it more or less affordable? Uh, we found that the Lockport Soccer Club is probably one of the most affordable clubs in the area. Um, we're a short drive from Clarence and Amherst and Kenmore, and those clubs charge a lot more compared to us. I, I, I know our fees. We try to keep the sessions in a neighborhood about $100 a session and, and uh, no registration fee. The other clubs will charge a, uh, a lot more uh, than that. So now there are several issues that result from the pay-to-play problem that could also be potentially affecting your own club or might be more seen in other, other town clubs. But this article also mentions that of these families enrolled in the U.S. Soccer Development Academies, one-third of them have an income over $100,000. And based on the Census Bureau, the household income for Latinos is at a medium of $51,450, while the white medium median is $70,642. So as you can sense, the amount of money that is required to play soccer at these competitive levels and eventually have a chance of being successful or receiving a scholarship to a college is a lot. And it is also affecting the type of people who are playing soccer, making the game ultimately more limited. Do you see this as a problem? And is it applicable to your own club or not as much? I, I do see it as a problem. Uh, our, our club, when you look at the demographics of our club, Lockport is, is, is not the most affluent community. However, I, when I look around at some of the teams, uh, many of the players do come from more affluent families. We, 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 we have a problem reaching some of the kids who can't afford to play. Our club does offer scholarships for families in need, but we only have a handful of those every year. And for the most part, you see the same kids playing all the time, even though we'd like to reach a little bit further uh, down the income ladder. Now, I know you say you aren't as diverse as you want to be, but since Lockport Soccer Club is more affordable, do you see it as more diverse compared to the other town clubs or even the premier level? in terms of racial backgrounds and economically? Uh, I'd say only a little. We do have a handful of African-American families, um, a few Latinos. I guess compared to some of the other clubs, um, we might have a few more. But compared to the actual uh, population in Lockport, I would expect to see more. Okay. Now, I do want to share some other statistics with you from a different article about the lack of diversity in both soccer and more broadly, all competitive sports, in fact. So according to Kids of Color in the American Sporting Landscape by Douglas Hartman and Alex Manning, 
Youth of color actually participate at lower rates in competitive sports. White youth are more likely to participate in a sport from grades 3 to 8 than any other race, with the mean age higher for African Americans and Latinos entering sports. Unsurprisingly, kids from wealthier families start playing competitive sports earlier as well. So the Physical Activity Council in 2013 found that the average age that children whose families make over $100,000 start playing sports is 6.3, while the children from families that make below $35,000 average at 8.1. This article also states that 20% of U.S. households that take in more than $100,000 of income account for 33% of kids in competitive youth. Thus, it's clear that the more money you have, the earlier you start playing sports. Unfortunately, there's obviously a big overlap between racial background and economic status, where in communities of color, levels of employment decrease while poverty rates increase. Some reasons, including less access to good schools and facilities. Where I'm headed is that youth from non-white backgrounds tend to be much more prevalent slash represented in school-sponsored athletic activities than in private agency-sponsored programs. Knowing this fact and considering that Lockport Soccer Club is an outside association from schools, do you see this as a problem or a restricting factor? Are there any options to play soccer in school at the young ages that you offer programs in Lockport specifically? Well, presently at the school levels, I know they start modified in about seventh grade. So there is there is a problem with the lower levels um, uh, in, in the non-parochial schools. I know the parochial, parochial schools offer it at, from first grade up, but again, that's a different demographic again. Now that's also paying to go to school. But I know our local public school in Lockport, they do not offer soccer uh, as, as an option uh, under sixth grade. Now, what age does the club start? The club starts at age eight, which would be about third grade or second, second grade Second now. or third grade. So is there a way that children get recognized as having potentials in schools at, well, not when they're young, but obviously once they get older and are eventually encouraged to play club soccer? Well, that, that would be, that, that'd be something interesting to work with, whether or not it'd be the phys ed teachers I know our past president, who was a he was a teacher in the Lockport School District, he would often look for kids at, at the fifth grade level, but that was around 10 years of age again. He would look for athletic kids in class, and he'd encourage them to play. So maybe this could be a potential solution or one way to address the problem. We, we do have a house league at the Keenan Center, and they start at the age of four and five, but again, uh, you do have to pay to play that. And and that's one of the things that soccer, when you think about it, should be so easy. At the end of the day, you need a pair of sneakers and a ball. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I, and I think the what a lot of people look at, it is easy to play. Similar to basketball, you have a pair of sneakers and you, you go to a court. Yeah, exactly. So I want to finish with this last point by illustrating an example from the novel we read in class called Fupilera. So in May 2015, Mexico hired Luisa Majeres Martinez, 
who became dictator of sports development for the amateur wing of the Mexican Federation, along with creating the nationwide amateur leagues for girls in the U13 and U16 divisions. It is extremely uncommon for a woman to receive this type of position. Within one year, the Federation recognized 150 teams in 15 states throughout Mexico. The finals of the closing tournament of the female league even exceeded the world record for a professional women's football game. Women inspire other women. By having a woman receive, receiving a job with high authority, it not only allows a platform to create opportunities, but also encourages other women to keep playing soccer and follow their dreams. What I'm trying to say is that this implement, the implementation of Luisha and more diverse coaches and leaders, it might be a way to address not only the gender issue, but also the issue of lack of diversity. So I want to ask you, do you have any coaches or people on the board of diversity or even a female? We have females. We have three females on our board. But uh, as far as diversity, no. Interesting. Now, in the other article that I mentioned earlier, Kush Kush states that there are 60 people on youth soccer task force, but only two are Hispanic and neither come from soccer backgrounds. If you had more coaches, do you think it would encourage more players, not only concerning Latin Americans, but also African Americans, or even people of this diversity on the board? Oh yes, I would. I do believe that because people have a tendency to gravitate towards like likeness. Yes. So now, in the other article, Hartman and Manning also made an interesting point, where they discovered that parents of color do not want their kids to play sports like soccer because they find that they tend to be surrounded by, frankly, all white children. As president, do you think there's anything you can do to encourage more diverse races to participate? Do you think this could be a potential solution to the problem? Well, I, I think if you go back to one of your earlier points, in order to get more people involved, I think we'd have to push soccer more in the public schools at early ages to encourage kids to play, to show them that with a ball and a pair of shoes, it's pretty easy to play. And after that happens, it would be possible. But I think trying to get more diverse would be great. Um, I know we we probably have about 15 to 20 African Americans in our club. I think it's gone up over the past few years. Uh, and and then all we can do is continue to encourage that. Well, thank you for joining us today. It was a great discussion. In conclusion, there is more that needs to be done to address the problems resulting from the pay-to-play issue and fix the lack of diversity in soccer. As Darren mentions, local clubs should try to get more involved with the public school systems and also implement more people of diversity. This could potentially encourage a change in the demographics of the sport. Therefore, despite the massive expenses of the pay-to-play teams, there are ways that we can personally increase the diversity of soccer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you all have a great day.